Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 12.50 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Yes, I know. I'm coming to you late, late, late. And I also didn't come to you yesterday. So I, I apologize. I had a doctor's appointment. No, I could, couldn't be escaped. Uh, yeah, general checkup and whatnot like that. Anyway, today is episode 793 of Bitcoin and Mercy. Do we have quite a bit to cover? Wow. Okay. So let's start with Bitcoin Magazine. And this notion, this nonsense going on with this $510,000 payment in fees on this one transaction, there's, it's gone both ways. At first, somebody said it was PayPal, and then somebody said it was somebody else. And now apparently we're back to PayPal. I have no idea what the hell's going on. Let's see if Nick Hoffman from Bitcoin Magazine can help us out here. PayPal partner Paxos overpaid $510,000 in a, the largest USD Bitcoin transaction fee ever, at least in USD terms. Yes, there's been a lot of fees that have been paid that were well over the amount of Satoshis in this particular payment, but not the fiat valuation. That's why it's reading the way it, it does. Now we'll start with this update thing. They updated this story and it's at the top. So let's do it first. A PayPal spokesperson said its infrastructure partner Paxos was responsible for the overpayment. Quote, Paxos overpaid the BTC network fee on September the 10th, 2023. This only impacted Paxos corporate corporate operations. Paxos clients and end users have not been affected and all customer funds are safe. Yeah, God, I hate it when they say that. Just say Safu, dude. This was due to a bug on a single transfer and it has been fixed. Paxos is in contact with the miner to recoup the funds, end quote. In a surprising turn of events, PayPal, the global online payments giant, reportedly overpaid a staggering $510,000 on a Bitcoin transaction fee. We now know it's Paxos. The incident, initially thought to be a fat-fingered mistake, has now been traced back to an issue within PayPal's processing system. Again, we're, you know, PayPal is partners with Paxos. If PayPal's not exactly away from this issue, but it wasn't directly done by PayPal, it was Paxos. According to a report by Mempool's Mononautical, this is the largest fee in fiat terms ever paid for a single Bitcoin transaction. The investigation into the colossal overpayment, which drew widespread attention when it was first reported, has led to some unexpected discoveries. The overpaid fee was sent from a hot wallet using the address BC1QR3, la 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 la, which commenced operations in June earlier this year. On-chain activity associated with this address indicates automated processing of fiat-denominated withdrawals closely resembling the behavior of an inactive wallet labeled as PayPal 
on ox.me, specifically BC1QHS, blah, 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 blah. The Bitcoin transaction fees are typically determined by market demand and network congestion. This can vary significantly, but a fee exceeding $500,000 US for such a small transaction is considered highly unusual. The transaction from the old wallet to the new BC1QR3 wallet address can be distinctly observed on-chain through an intermediate process BC1QLM address adding further evidence to the software bug theory. This, to, or rather, to confirm this finding, actual known PayPal withdrawals were traced on-chain, ultimately leading to the conclusion that the issue likely originated from within PayPal's management system. Quote, All evidence now points to a software bug like this as the cause of error, Mononautical said. I really feel for the developer who wrote that code. It's such an easy mistake to make, and it should have been caught in review, end quote. Furthermore, the entire system was running completely unmonitored as PayPal failed to notice or halt the erroneous withdrawals for nearly 24 hours. This incident serves as a stark reminder of the need for meticulous attention to detail and vigilant oversight when conducting Bitcoin transactions, especially when handling large sums of money. Okay. So here's, it's, this seems to be what's, what occurred. At first, it was traced down to this PayPal wallet, right? And then somebody said, no, it wasn't PayPal. And this is on, I guess, on Dead Bird app. Somebody tweeted out that, no, it wasn't PayPal. It was Paxos. Well, PayPal and Paxos are kind of intimately linked in this particular situation because it was part of PayPal's infrastructure, it was the infrastructure partner Paxos was actually responsible for this. But, 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 but the big problem is down here at the bottom where it says the entire system was running completely unmonitored. That should be a big no-no, a huge no-no because it was apparently just continuously scraping this one wallet address and paying fees to put whatever balance was in that wallet address into another wallet. And it was just, I guess it was just on automatic where it was just, it would scrape and then, you know, a certain amount of time would go by and the timer would go off and it would scrape again. And it was completely automated. And sometimes this is what automation will get you. There's a lot of places where automation makes sense. If you're growing plants or or starting seeds or something like that and you're you need like exactly 12 hours of light or 16 hours of light in your grow room or whatever, yet you, you put your shit on a timer. If you need automatic watering outside, timers are great. That kind of automation makes sense because the worst case scenario, you're watering your grass and the, and the, the timer just dies. The batteries run out or whatever it is, the mechanism just absolutely just gets pummeled and it can't complete. Or... It, I mean, like if it, like if it didn't complete, like what I'm saying is didn't complete the, uh, like the turn off cycle, which could totally suck for you. Right. Because it's like, if you're on vacation for like a week and that thing never shut off, you're in for a pretty big water bill, you know, uh, even in drip irrigation, if you've got a lot, if you've got a lot of drip irrigation hose going on, that won't save you because over time you're going to end up using a lot of water. It, it, that's not the point. The whole real point is, is that even if you've got something automated, you got to go check it. You, you, I mean, yes, I know. It's like, well, then why automate anything? Well, 
because chances are good, it's always it's going to work, but it's not always going to work. And when you roll your own shit, and it looks like that Paxos kind of rolled their own shit with this automation thing, you don't roll your own stuff in crypto. You just don't do it. You don't roll your own cryptography. You don't roll your own wallets unless you're like, well, like people do, but are you willing to put that into production and use it all the time? I mean, there's been a couple of like heavy hitting Bitcoiners that lost quite a bit of quite a bit of Bitcoin lately. <clears throat> uh, Luke Dash Jr. comes to mind because he rolled his own security. And I think he lost a lot of Bitcoin, man. He lost a lot of it. Whole coin, like 200 or was it 150 or something like that? Dude, anything over one, actually any any amount of Satoshi is gone because you rolled your own is is a bad thing. It just is. But we've got other fish to fry as normal. And we're going to fry the drive chain shit right here. I, I got two, both of them from Bitcoin Magazine one of them is quite a bit older than the other one, but let's start with Shinobi. Now, he wrote this one yesterday, and he says for Bitcoin Magazine, drive chains are stupid, prove me wrong. If you guys know who Shinobi is, you know that it's probably somebody that you might want to listen to. We're going to try something of an experiment today. Drive chains are being proclaimed by some as the savior of Bitcoin. The answer to all of its problems It solves the long-term security budget. It allows complete freedom to incorporate new features into Bitcoin. And it presents no downsides for existing Bitcoin users at all. Sound too good to be true? It is. Number one, drive chains change minor incentives. Drive chains introduce a hodgepodge of new variables into miners' incentives. And after introducing that instability, advocates push for users simply adopting a degraded security model for all new use cases and functionality by using a side chain in lieu of changing the base layer. How is this any different from an outright attack on Bitcoin self-custody? Number two, existing side chains have no adoption. There have been many different design proposals for sidechains over the years, but the only currently deployed ones are run by federations, Liquid and RSK, both of which have failed to gain any meaningful level of adoption since they've been deployed. Does this mean sidechains are not worth continued development effort, or are they worth it and the failure of federated chains to be adopted is simply the result of shortcomings in that specific sidechain design? Number three. Drive chains exasperate the risks of MEV. MEV is something that is possible on Bitcoin already, as systems like Stacks are demonstrating. But currently, the forms of MEV possible on Bitcoin are either generated by totally independent altcoins like Stacks, which historically have trended to an insignificant percentage of miners' income like Namecoin, or very low in the level of complexity like front-running inscriptions. Drive chains open the door to arbitrarily complex forms of MEV on sidechains, while also ensuring that the token generating that MEV is pegged to the price of Bitcoin, it cannot simply fade away to an irrelevant fraction of minor income as people stop buying an altcoin. This drastically worsens the risks and potential damage of MEV on Bitcoin. 
For those of you who are wondering what the hell MEV is, well, MEV is minor extractable value. Minor extractable value is a means for miners to generate revenue outside of block rewards and fees through exerting their influence on the network. That's never a good thing, by the way. So number four, uh, no, swap markets aren't the answer either. Paul Stork replied to some of these concerns on Twitter, but these responses do not really address the root issue. Swap markets might sound like an answer, but the reality is that these just shove the liquidity requirements onto yet another party, assuming they will provide massive amounts of liquidity for almost nothing in return. That might work for small-scale utility users or having liquidity available to arbitrage uncertainty around the peg. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that enough liquidity to cover the solution to the security budget problem without slippage is a given to say nothing of all the other users who would want to swap in and out. He then goes on to ignore the difference between a main chain reorg or reorganization, which requires redoing work and energy expenditure versus a side chain reorg, which does not. Finally, he equates a random person for no logical or profit driven reason, giving money away with someone generating a profit with an activity that they are the sole gatekeepers of. Look, look, look. Ultimately, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I want what's best for Bitcoin. I think drive chains are stupid, dangerous, and a waste of time, but I want to hear your thoughts on the subject. Am I wrong about the points above? Is there another reason that I should be against drive chains that I've overlooked? Please do not write me with some random hopium. I'm open to novel opinions. I want the conversation to progress. Above is my best summation. We simply aren't anywhere close to any meaningful consensus of, on drive chains. All right, so that's Shinobi's take on drive chains. Let's rewind all the way back to October the 6th, 2022. Also from Bitcoin Magazine, written by Nikita Charshinitsky. There's no way I pronounced that right. DriveChain could ossify Bitcoin's blockchain for good. Today, Bitcoin faces a challenge. Remember, today, by the way, guys, just remember, today is like last year, right? This is from 2022, October, okay? So when today, that's what they're talking about. Today, Bitcoin faces a challenge. There are two contradicting requirements necessary for success. And if we want to win, we have to find a way to satisfy both. There is... The requirement for security, it is paramount when billions of dollars are at stake. In the world of security professional paranoia and conservatism, it's a necessity. Any single change introduced into Bitcoin software is a potential security vulnerability. Ideally, we would freeze Bitcoin's code base and then never introduce any changes that don't fix security vulnerabilities. This first requirement is already on its way to being satisfied with a creeping ossification, which is not a conscious strategy, but an accidental political reality established as the result of historical events and technological limitations. Every single change that touches consensus must go through a long, extensive, and rigorous process of deliberation. You can see this with the Taproot software which took 46 months from proposal in January of 2018 to activation in November of 2021. And in the more recent 
OPCTV activation controversy. It may be by accident, but we are on our way to satisfying the first requirement. There is a grave cost to this unconscious strategy, though. In the existing accidental ossification regime, we are subject to an extreme and perhaps even justified level of risk aversion because if a decision is reached and a risk is taken, every single Bitcoin user must bear that risk. Technological improvements either take years to implement or are rejected outright. In such a regime, we will never see some technological advancements. In the current situation, Bitcoin will never see zero-knowledge cryptography or ring signatures implemented. And so, Bitcoin will never have strong privacy. Only Bitcoin's competition will have strong privacy. For scaling, we will be stuck with the Lightning Network and with custodial solutions. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, I'm cringing too, guys. Just I, That's really short-sighted. Let's continue, though. Lightning is great as far as it goes, but in terms of scaling, it has limitations. Its capacity to onboard new users is limited, and it has yet unsolved UX challenges. Besides, some proposals that make Lightning meaningfully better, such as SIG hash any prev out, will take either multiple years to activate or will never be activated. This is all to say nothing of more experimental ideas and technologies such as Blockstream simplicity proposal. It enables smart contracts on Bitcoin with a better design than existing smart contract implementations on altcoins. Given the complexity of the proposal, it is very unlikely to ever see the light of day under the existing process. Only Bitcoin's largest competitor will have smart contracts. Pausing to sigh. (sighs) Smart contracts are on Bitcoin. They are on Bitcoin. They are on Bitcoin. But apparently, you really have to know what the hell you're doing to be able to write them, right? It's not like they don't exist. They do. So that's that last sentence was very, very not right. Okay, well, whatever. That's not all. Besides that, there are also, or there are the already existing technological improvements in terms of privacy, scaling, and smart contracts, which Bitcoin won't see implemented. We will voluntarily or worse, accidentally relinquish the power of all future technological innovation to our competition. Uh, Our competition is not constrained by ossification at all. Significant improvements are already left on the table. Imagine how far behind we will be within a decade or two of progress in cryptography and computer science if the situation doesn't change. Oh my God, uh, oh the humanity. In order to win. Bitcoin requires a mechanism for change and adaptation to achieve victory in the competitive environment it is in. It doesn't matter how great Bitcoin is in its current state. Without such a mechanism, Bitcoin's potential will stay fixed and its competitors and adversaries' potential will grow. In this situation, no matter how far ahead you are and no matter how far behind your competitors and adversaries, eventually they will catch up. Failure to adapt in a competitive environment usually doesn't work out. Unless at some point there's a transition from the tradition and isolation of the Edo period to open-mindedness and modernization of the Meiji period, the British will show up with ironclads, gatling guns, and rifles, and you would be stuck with samurai swords and horses. These are the two irreconcilable requirements that we have, change and security. The only good way to reconcile them that I'm aware of is to separate Bitcoin into two 
isolated layers. And here's where we start getting into the meat of drive chains. Layer one needs to be completely ossified at the base layer, never making any non-security improving changes. In all likelihood, that would be the existing Bitcoin core. Layer two needs to be a side chain layer that is free to take risks and to implement arbitrary features. There must be a secure two-way peg that lets anyone transfer funds between the base layer and any side chain on layer two at a one-to-one exchange rate. This two-way peg mechanism and perhaps a blind merged mining agreement should be the only things that connect layer one to layer two and vice versa. With this mechanism in mind, the decision of how much technological risk to take on would be made individually and unilaterally by every single user. Any user could move funds into a particular sidechain and voluntarily accept its trade-offs and risks or move them back to the ossified security of the base layer at any time. This individual taking or not taking of risks and trade-offs, which only affect the people who partake in it, would replace the existing process of collective risk-taking through deliberation by the entire community and all-or-nothing introduction of changes that affect every single Bitcoin user. There already exists a custodial implementation of this idea, the liquid network. But because it is custodial, it is flawed. In order to attack it, you need to compromise five custodians distributed around the world and not just one, which is a lot better than something like Coinbase, But it's custodial. Nonetheless, Liquid success has been pretty limited. As of September 14, 2022, according to Liquid.net, there are 3,560 BTC pegged into the network. That's around 71 million or 0.09, no, excuse me, 0.019% of the current circulating BTC supply of slightly more than 19 million coins. It is better than nothing, but an implementation that relies on an 11 of 15 multisig controlled by 15 functionary incorporated companies around the world requires an unacceptable level of trust for a supposedly trustless distributed cryptocurrency, which is reflected in people's reluctance to actually use it. Hence, there is only $71 million in it. There is a non-custodial implementation of the exact same idea proposed in (gasps) GASP BIP 300 and BIP 301, also known as drive chains. It requires a soft fork to be activated, but it is distributed and trustless. The two-way peg is secured by paying all sidechain transaction fees to miners to perform a fixed and very simple set of functions. You can get the full description of the mechanism in the BIPs. Uh, They didn't even provide a link to it. Damn. This is substantial security improvements over Liquid. In order to attack Liquid, you only have to compromise five incorporated functionaries, which is a woefully insufficient security arrangement given the kinds of adversaries Bitcoin might face if it continues to grow. In order to attack DriveChain, you have to perform a 51% attack sustained over a three-month period while making it painfully obvious to every single participant of the network that you are performing an attack and giving said participants plenty of time to respond. With DriveChain, we have a way to reconcile our two irreconcilable requirements for change and for security. 
We can ossify Bitcoin more completely than with the existing accidental political reality kind of ossification. We can preserve Bitcoin's trustless and distributed nature. And at the exact same time, we can ensure that in the future, we would be the British with metaphorical ironclads, Gatling guns and rifles. And our competitors and adversaries would be the ones stuck with metaphorical samurai swords and horses. Uh, No. I just, I don't agree with any of this. I, I just, this, and this is why the maximalist, me and myself included, we, the, we are either screaming at the top of our lungs or we just don't give a shit. But we're all still maximalists. It's just different kinds. Some are more vocal than others. I haven't been really that vocal on drive chains. Eh, I, I mean, to me, I, I just I don't see it as necessary because I don't need a shit chain on Bitcoin just because somebody says, well, well, my shit chain talks to Bitcoin. So do. So what? It's still a shit coin on a shit chain. It's a side chain. That's what we're, when you when you hear the word side chain, think altcoin. The fact that it talks to the Bitcoin network and somehow there is a one-to-one peg like I hold Bitcoin on the BTC network, the Bitcoin core network. Like I've got a full node and I'm talking to my full node through like, you know, my wallet. And I say, I've got one Bitcoin and I want to send it to this other wallet address. That's the layer I'm talking about. The Bitcoin network layer, layer one. I take that Bitcoin and all of a sudden I exchange it kind of for either another altcoin or a set of like, or like, you know, maybe 10 of of this one altcoin, depending on how it's going to be pegged. They say one to one. So one Bitcoin to whatever this altcoin on this side chain is. And then, then I can go play with that altcoin. Man, there, right there, I got all manner of problems. Like exactly how is that Bitcoin secured if I want to say, you know what, I've, I've had my fun in the sandbox. I'm kind of done. Uh, I want my Bitcoin back, please. There's many questions about how that shit's actually done. And, and I'm sure there's somebody listening who says, no, those, an- those questions have been answered. Clearly not to the level that they need to be answered. Just because somebody has an answer, like here's an, here's an answer to everything. Why does X have to be like it is? Answer, because Jesus wants it that way. That's an answer. But it's not a good answer. It doesn't contain anything other than your belief in Jesus and a trust statement. Because Jesus wants it that way. So you trust that a person called Jesus exists, which I believe, and that I should trust Jesus, which I do. But even for me, that answer doesn't work. It doesn't work because it completely sublimates and gets rid of any practical or practicality as to what I have to have for a question to be truly answered in the realm in which I exist. Drive chains don't do it for me. I get what they're trying to do. It's like a transformer, like a like a the like the transformers that you see on the telephone pole, then and connected to that transformer, like the power cables come off and they go to your house. It's transforming high voltage into a lower voltage so that you don't burn out everything in your house. So you go from like, you know, 440 
to you know two to two forty and then a one ten leg so that you can run like a, a washer and dryer on two forty and then the rest of your shit. If you got an electric stove, that's on going to be on like 220, 240 or whatever it is. But like a hairdryer, that's going to be 110. So you got these two different voltages. Those voltages are that that energy is actually created by the high voltage running through a coil wrapped around basically a, a, a chunk of steel sitting in like this this oil and then there's another pole with a coil wrapped around it that is not touching the other coil. They're separated by some distance. The magnetic field that is generated by wrapping a steel post with a bunch of coil and running voltage through it is picked up by the other coil. And that magnetic energy, because it's being induced, it turns into, well, not because it's being induced. It's the induction into the other coil of a magnetic field will always produce electrons, it's just the way the electrical field and the magnetic fields ha- coexist. It's in physics. It's actually in physics one in college. You might even talk about it in high school. But be that as it may, depending on how many wraps the coil has, determines how much voltage. But the generally speaking, there's an, an efficiency rating. But just think of that all the electricity from the high voltage side gets transferred over to the low voltage side, except now it's at a voltage that you can use without burning your house down. Right, That's what they're trying to get at, is that they're keeping these two things completely separated, just like a transformer does. But it's not that simple here. And it does, I mean, honestly, at this point, just use liquid. We already, I mean, just because liquid doesn't have the adoption, it, it's almost like this author is saying, because liquid doesn't have an adoption, it's clear that people want drive chains that's what liquid is in effect it does almost the exact same shit and you can go experiment on on liquid they're saying i know what he's saying he's like they want a liquid that's not federated that's completely decentralized but there's always going to be trade-offs and you can't get away from trade-offs and every time that you try to get away from a trade-off you're going to get hosed now i will pause it as i usually do that we will have to see but I'm, there's nothing about drive chains that is exciting or even remotely new. Liquid did it. I think we had like colored coins that kind of did sort of the same thing a little bit. It was very, very different. But eh, there, the, the notion has always been, how can we get the value of the security layer of Bitcoin, but be able to be reckless on the other end of it and and if we're going to lose anything, we lose everything on the reckless side of the conversation that these two chains are having with each other, the side chain or the drive chain and, 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 and Bitcoin. I don't see anything new here is what I'm getting at. And because it's not new, I just don't think it's going to get a whole lot of traction. But again, we'll have to, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But bull Bitcoin is not going to wait and see anymore when it comes to Costa Rica. Because, and this is from bullbitcoin.com, this is their blog. Bull Bitcoin has expanded to Costa Rica via SINPE Moville in partnership with uh, Bitcoin Jungle. Bull Bitcoin is the first and only Bitcoin exchange in Costa Rica that lets users buy and sell Bitcoin using SINPE Mobile, the country's most primary fiat payment system. 
It is estimated that over 90% of Costa Rican consumers use it, a phone number-based payment network, which means that almost every Costa Rican can now have access to a low-cost, secure, and instant Bitcoin on-ramp and off-ramp. For the first time ever, both Ticos, another word for Costa Ricans, and foreigners can convert colones to Bitcoin and Bitcoin to colones without needing complicated international bank transfers and expensive foreign currency conversion. Bull Bitcoin also allows conversion to and from bank accounts, both in CRC and USD, via regular bank transfers. Bull Bitcoin's entry in the Costa Rican Bitcoin market officially kicks off our long-awaited international expansion over the next 12 months. Bull Bitcoin will become available to over 1 billion, that's with a B, billion people worldwide. After almost 10 years of being available only in Canada and serving a market of 35 million individuals, we are now ready to offer our internationally acclaimed services to users across the world. So... There you go. Bull Bitcoin is now going to be in Costa Rica. It looks to, sounds to me like they're going to be announcing part or uh, their infiltration into other countries soon. TM, um, do we want to do this one? You know what? Let's do this one. Yeah, let's do this one later. That way we can run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got oil. Wow, West Texas Intermediate is up two and a quarter points to ninety dollars and fifty three cents. Brent North Sea is up two and a third to ninety four bucks. Natural gas is up 086 percent to two dollars and seventy cents for get this one per million British thermal units. If that makes more sense than thousand cubic feet, uh, gasoline is up a quarter of a point to $2.74 a gallon. Gold is down scant $1,931.90. Silver is likewise down, but more 1.1% to the downside. We got platinum up two thirds of a point. Copper is up two thirds of a point. Palladium is down by half. Most of the agricultural world is in the green today with the biggest winner being what, 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 what's the biggest winner going to be coffee, 1.35% to the upside. Biggest loser is going to be wheat, almost a full point to the downside. I got live cattle up 1.4%. Lean hogs, however, are down 1.6. Feeder cattle are up 1.13%. The Dow is up over a point today. The S&P is up almost a point. NASDAQ is up almost a point. And the S&P Mini is up a point and one-third. Real money chilling out at $26,615. Wow. Okay. Uh, average transaction value is 0.36 BTC. Median transaction value is $0.14. Cents. So the ordinal guys are at it again with block times of nine minutes flat. Uh, 0.19 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 31.13. Oh, 31.13 BTC. Wow, that's a palindrome BTC. Uh, taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 4.2, no, a 7, sorry, excuse me, a 7.24% increase in hash rate. We're looking square in the face at 404 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator as normal is 6.2. United States pennies. Clark's dashboard shows $518.8 billion of market cap. That is little over eh, 4% of gold's entire market cap. You may purchase uh, 14 ounces of shiny metal rocks 
There are 19,485,286.8 Bitcoin in circulation. 4,781 of them are in the Lightning Network, valued at $127.3 million, being run over 16,179 nodes, sporting 68,621 payment channels. And holy shit, 78.9% of the Lightning Network in total is apparently being run over Tor. That's... Honestly, man, that's like almost a 10% jump. Well, well, it was like at 70%, right? And now all of a sudden, and it was at 70% for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, or 60, you know, for anywhere between 65 and 70 for months. And now all of a sudden, 78.9% of Lightning Network is being run over Tor. Somebody, somebody, please tell me what the hell's going on. I'd really actually like to know. Mempool's... Not too bad today, considering where we have been. We're looking at a little over 210 blocks carrying 532,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high priority transaction rates of 26 Satoshis per VBYTE. Low priorities, you're going to get in at 18, and anything under 8 Satoshis per VBYTE are being purged from mempools around the world. And I'm showing that uh, here's the discrepancy. We were at 404 exahashes for mining capacity or uh, for hash rate over on BitInfo charts. Mempool.space is showing 468 exahashes per second. That is too much of a difference for my little mind to handle. Some One of those two numbers is clearly wrong. I don't know. I don't give a shit because I'm still in the top 10 on fountain charts. Thanks in part to people like Letter6173 with a full striper boost. 7777 says, pro tip, sunlight, steak, and family. Trying engaging all three frequently. I agree. Wartime Psycho with 3333 says, Adam Meister is still around. Check on his YouTube. He just switched from being retired or switched to being retired and now does a show every time he reaches $100 in donations. A little steep in my opinion, but that's the status currently. Hey, thanks, Wartime. I appreciate that. I'll go check him out, man. I, I kind of miss Adam. Acerus underscore BTC, 2718. So flat coins are basically tokenized commodity ETFs. Paging Mr. Howie. Yeah, no shit, dude. Nick underscore dose, 1369 says, cheers, Dubrovko with 1080. Says, time is a fiat, well, wait, time is a flat circle. He may say fiat, I'm not sure, because the I in this particular font's kind of hard to, uh, whatever. So we'll just say time is a flat circle. So, of course, flat, oh, there we go, flat coins will come to market and surprising, and surprise people when they crash. Quote, how to speak Australian, actively managed, end quote. Yeah, no shit, that goes along with the meet Mr. Howie yeah. Dubrovko with 1070 regarding episode 791 chain analysis denouncing someone that reports against you seems like what a philosopher would call a circular argument pies with a thousand thank you sir no thank you dude uh, black card biz with 521 says all sats matter at all sats matter.com hey be careful just because black card biz seems like he's a good guy always verify Never trust. Uh, if you can figure out a way to go all sats matter.com, 
Yeah, might check it out. I don't know yet. I haven't been there myself. Axelrod with 451 says, thank you for the news you can use. Concerning news about Swan's third-party custody fortress, I agree with your assessment of the issue and my need to reassess my relationship with Swan. The jury is still out, but I don't think I'll wait for the verdict to take action. Thank you again for highlighting these issues before they blow up in my face. Thank you, sir. I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, no shit, dude. I do that. I've, I've done that. God's death, 370. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. And user with a whole bunch of numbers with 100 sats says porn equals derivatives. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> or OMFG. Um, Axelrod, getting back to your statement here. I want to clarify something for everybody. I like Swan Bitcoin. I like Corey Clipston. I like the Brandon Quidham as part of that crew. He's over at Swan. You know, Swan is an advertiser or is a, a sponsor of Guy Swan's show, right? It, I'm not bashing Swan. I, I want to make very painfully clear to everybody listening to me. And here's the reason why. Even though they're kind of in bed with Ripple right now, I'll bet you my ass, Corey is, he's, I'll bet you he's like a wolf in a trap and he's busy trying to chew his own leg off trying to get out of this thing. And I'll bet you he will. I'll bet you he will. Second of all, it's not like Swan hasn't been going around since their inception telling you to not trust keeping your Bitcoin on Swan and made sure everybody could withdraw. I had my, my family, one of my family company uh, companies, which don't take that to mean that I'm some kind of magnate. I ain't, all right? Like on paper, I may, I'm worth a lot more than I actually get in, in you know, fiat life terms. It's okay. But when I say family companies, it's just we just didn't want to dissolve all my dad's companies after he died. One of them holds Bitcoin through Swan. And there was a, you know, there was some coin left over there on Swan when this whole fortress thing came out. I went over to Swan. I swept the wallet into another wallet that we have custody of. And then it was fine. It was completely fine. I'm not saying that that means that you should wait. I'm saying you should get your shit off of Swan right now. Right freaking now. You need to get all your shit off of Swan. But not because I hate Swan. Because I'm following Swan Bitcoin's advice. Don't trust Swan Bitcoin to custody your Bitcoin. You need to do that shit yourself. And they've told you, they've told me, they've told everybody the exact same thing every single day since they've been open. Get your coins off Swan. So because of that reason alone, it's not that I'm okay with the Ripple thing. No, I hate them. And I, I need Corey to get, away, get as far away from Fortress Trust and Ripple and Brad Garlinghouse as he possibly can. And I'll bet you he's trying to figure out how. I'll bet you figuring out how has been in the works for a while. But, 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 but. Hating Swan for being in this situation, even though they've been telling you to get your shit off of Swan for all these years, in my opinion, is not the correct attitude to have. Again, we'll have to wait and see what Corey actually does. The proof is in the action. Okay, the proof is in the action. That's going to do it for the weather report. 
welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Hydra. And it's not a Bond villain. This is from Bitcoin Magazine. Amboss launches innovative new tool to boost adoption of Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Before we begin with this piece from Nick Hoffman out of Bitcoin Magazine, let me pause just to say that I have very mixed feelings about Amboss. Because when when you give your information about your Lightning node over to Amboss, they kind of know what you know. Uh, that's not good. Okay, that's that's not good. Right? You have to make the decision as to what is it. What is it that you want out of Amboss that you would connect your Lightning node to them? I don't necessarily think that Amboss is actually evil. Not right now. What if they sell to Coinbase? Well, then automatically Amboss becomes fucking evil. And at that particular time, they've got all the history of your Lightning node. Everything that you've done on your Lightning node. Who it's connected to. How much liquidity it has. What's been processed out of it. Right? Unless you, unless, I don't think it can read the private channels, but don't quote me on that. If you have private channels, it's possible that Amboss can't see that. But if you've connected your Lightning node and you've got nothing but public channels, they can see pretty much everything. What do you want to get out of it to do? I mean, if you're going to give them that information, what do you want back? Well, they actually have more than a few services that to some people, it could be worth it. To other people's, it might not be. But this is one of those services that I think it can be depending on who you are and what you need it for. Again, the name of this thing is Hydra. Hydra. Amboss, a leading data analytics provider for the Bitcoin Lightning Network, has unveiled a new subscription service called Hydro. Oh, not Hydra. Hydro. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like looking at the, I was looking at the, their, their logo looks like Hydra, but whatever. It's just, I screwed up. Ron Burgundy here. How you doing? Um, their new subscription service called Hydro. Designed to automate liquidity management for the Lightning Network, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. This enables businesses to seamlessly receive payments through the Lightning Network without requiring expertise in Lightning Network operations or relinquishing custody of their funds. Hydro attempts to simplify the Lightning Network's payment liquidity process by automating the sourcing of payment liquidity from decentralized sources directly to a business's LN node. As more businesses embrace the Lightning Network, the growing circular economy leads to increasingly cost-effective Lightning payments, with fees dropping from an initial 3.5% setup cost to as low as 0.003% for subsequent payments, according to the release. Jesse Schrader, co-founder and CEO of Amboss, emphasized Hydro's transformative potential, stating, quote, Hydro is a game changer for businesses to get the benefits of the Lightning Network without trusted custodians, intermediaries, or the headache of channel management. As the Lightning Network welcomes global participation, Hydro simplifies real-time payment infrastructure to bootstrap global circular economies like we've seen in Costa Rica's Bitcoin jungle, end quote. Until now, sourcing liquidity for businesses on the LN or Lightning Network has been a challenging endeavor as entrepreneurs typically lack the time and expertise needed to manage a Lightning Network node. Consequently, the adoption of Lightning has been slow for retailers using full nodes. 
often forcing them to turn to trusted custodians, thereby sacrificing some of the privacy and sovereignty advantages offered by Bitcoin. With Hydro, businesses can finally tap into the full benefits of Lightning Network adoption without the associated hassles. Amboss also operates Magma, a marketplace for buying and selling Lightning channels, which Hydro then leverages to obtain high-quality liquidity from an open market. Lightning channels create new pathways for routing payments within the Lightning Network. Selling these channels on Magma allow Bitcoin savers to earn BTC by opening Lightning channels to various destinations such as online stores, wallets, or other LN users. Since Lightning channels enable self-custodial Bitcoin holding, Magma provides novel Bitcoin yield opportunities without the custodial risks, sidestepping the pitfalls experienced by some centralized finance yield platforms. Hydro's functionality involves purchasing select Lightning Channel leases that meet specific quality criteria at the lowest available prices. Users can define their desired node size or capacity, and channels will be automatically procured using prepaid AMBOSS credits, known as AMBUCKS. Yes, it's a shit coin, but hey, there you go. Users even have the option to set a target inbound liquidity, facilitating cost-effective and needs-based channel management. AMBOSS's Hydro aims to reshape the landscape of the Bitcoin Lightning Network, making it more accessible and user-friendly for businesses, ultimately driving wider adoption and fostering the growth of a robust, decentralized payment ecosystem. To learn more about it, visit the website here. Where's here? AMBOSS.space. That is A-M-B-O-S-S dot space if you want to go find out more. Now, ah, ah, again, the, there's two there's two things here for me. One is that well um giving them access to your lightning node data is the first hurdle for me. Now, I did it. Why did I do it? Because I was being reckless with my lightning node back in the day. I I mean, I could disconnect it, but I don't have that many channels. I, I use it to get, you know, like sats in and that could come back to bite me. Like, you know, this whole podcasting 2.0 where you send me a boostagram and, you know, throw sats behind it or you stream me Satoshis and boss knows all that. Yes, they do. They know all that shit. They know, they know what the last, or at least they know where the last node came from. And they also know where the destination node is. Uh, you know, after that, it's kind of, it gets kind of murky, but for me personally, they, you know, Amboss would be able to deliver pretty much an income statement to me if I so chose. If they ever, off, if they offer that particular service, I don't think they do. But they've got a lot. They got a lot of dirt on my Lightning node, right? Which isn't, you know, which isn't all that good. But we were all. I mean, if you wanted to participate in, um, oh, any of the, uh, like, there's a bunch of Telegram groups where people are like. Um, and really good people I and mean, people that we all know, not only on, you know, b- back in the day on Bitcoin Twitter, but now on Noster, we know some really good people that are involved in like basically, you know, d- getting together in groups and forming groups on Amboss to have a whole bunch of lightning nodes spun up. All right. So don't just like, if you go, Oh, I'm never, never going to donate sats to Bitcoin and again, well, it doesn't matter because almost, almost everybody is connected to Amboss at this point. That's where private channels come in, but I'm not even going to get into that. But that's a mess. 
right? That whole data th- analytics thing is is a mess. It's a, it's a mess with with chain analysis, and it's a mess with Amboss, which represents chain analysis on the Lightning Network. Number two, yield. This is an issue. It's always been an issue. DeFi, where you're harvesting sushi to turn it into pumpkin coin so that you can get 7.91 APR for basically doing nothing, quote unquote, providing liquidity on DeFi. But I never actually saw what it did. In this particular case, I can actually see that I've got a lightning channel. It, it has a hash time lock contract. I can sell that liquidity over to Amboss for a yield. What their yields are seem to be kind of low. That makes me feel better that they're not saying, you'll get double digit interest every month. Automatically, that would be a red flag for me. But if you're selling, because this is one of the major problems with the Lightning Network is just how do we get liquidity? You know, I mean, how do you start up? You know, I don't honestly, I don't even remember how I got my first inbound channel on my lightning node. I had like five outbound channels, but I didn't have any incoming liquidity. I think it was podcast network. I can't remember exactly. I had a lightning node for like my lightning node has been operational for a long time, but I didn't have inbound liquidity for a long time. And it wasn't until I dove head deep into podcasting 2.0 that I realized you're going to need inbound liquidity. And I asked Adam Curry himself, and I said, is there any way I could get you to open up a channel with me? And he said, sure, bro. He opened up a million sat channel with me and boom, I was off to the races. Now I've got, I've got just as much inbound or almost as much inbound liquidity as I do outbound because the channels just, they, they seem to manage themselves, which leads me to this hydro thing because we were talking about this selling your shit that's the magma service from amboss now you got hydro which automates channel management or so they say in your lightning node not a lightning node that they own you're attaching your own lightning node and hydro is doing things at the back end that do something about channel management i wish that there had been a little bit more detail as to how that works in this piece I'm going to have to dig for that, but I've been waiting for automated channel management. And yes, I know automation. Yeah. Well, I I check my lightning node many times a day. Is it up? What's the liquidity? Did I get any payments from podcasting 2.0? That whole schmear. I do it at least 15, 20 times a day. So I don't mind automating because I will see when something went wrong and I'll catch it pretty quick. I I would not do this if I would literally turn hydro off if you can if I were to go away for a month. All right? I wouldn't allow that shit to occur because you can get into some problems. But if it works, if it does what it says it does, if it works in conjunction with magma, man this could be a whole cottage industry. Of people just saying, "You know what? I got an old server. I'll partition the son of a bitch and I'll run, I don't know, 20 different lightning nodes and just make channels and just attach it all to Amboss, sell channel liquidity through Magma and have it automatically managed with Hydro and boom. But the third prong of this is what does this do? It's going to centralize a lot of the lightning network, uh, not the infrastructure, but the management. And that's just as bad as the infrastructure. 
if everybody's got their shit hooked up to magma and hydro, then Amboss can pretty much do whatever they want when it comes to liquidity. And that should worry the living shit out of everybody using this. It doesn't mean that they're evil. It just means that they don't have the potential to not be evil. I don't care who says what. Everything's got the potential to be evil. If it has anything to do with human management, it has the potential to be evil, which is one of the reasons why I like Bitcoin, because even though it has the potential to be evil because there's some human management behind the releases of new Bitcoin core releases, I don't have to download that new release software into my node. If for whatever reason I cease to trust Jameson Lop, or well, I don't think I don't know if he does that anymore, but any of the rest of the developers on Bitcoin, if for whatever reason I don't I don't have to download their new software, and I can be part of the trusted part of Bitcoin at like I don't know uh, Bitcoin Core twenty point two whatever right. So keep all that shit in mind. But if it works and it's not evil and it stays not evil for a, quite a while. This has some real potential behind it. It's got real legs. It's got real legs, and we should probably take a look at it. All right, now, uh, Deutsche Bank is in the news because they're going to offer crypto custody with their partner, Swiss fintech Taurus company. Okay, Pedro Salomano, again from Decrypt. Taurus, a Swiss fintech for enterprise-grade crypto services, has announced an agreement with Deutsche Bank to establish digital asset custody. Alongside crypto custody, Deutsche Bank will also use Taurus's infrastructure to offer tokenization services for its customers as per a press release shared with Decrypt. Quote, we look forward to supporting the bank in launching digital assets and DLT-based products, said Lamine Bahrimi, managing partner and co-founder of Taurus in today's announcement. Uh, DLTs, oh God. Uh, Quote, we believe the tokenized economy will continue to develop. Honestly, it's just the fact, the only reason I'm bringing you this story at all, which we don't need to know anything more because it's very shit coinery, is that Deutsche Bank has taken this shit seriously. It really is. Because here's the last quote that I'll share from, uh, I'm sorry, from the uh, head of securities for Deutsche Bank. Quote, as the digital asset space is expected to encompass trillions of dollars of assets, it's bound to be seen as one of the priorities for investors and corporations alike. As such, custodians must start adapting to support their clients, Maley said in a press release shared with Decrypt. It's bullish even though it's shit coinery. That's what I'm getting at here, is that Deutsche Bank is not, is, they're not going to, they want a seat at the table. They want a seat at the table and they're putting resources into building that seat to put at the table. That's a proof of work, even though it's shit coinery that's going to include Bitcoin, but it's also going to include all the rest of the crap that nobody likes. Honestly, don't give a shit. It's telegraphing to the world's wealthiest individuals and corporations and institutions alike that this is not going to go away. And you're either going to play at this particular, you're going to play with this currency at the table, or you're going to miss out on several bets because everybody's going to start playing cards with this type of stuff. And you don't want to not be able to make a bet when you've got a handful of cards that suggest you might win that bet. 
more money is going to pour in. There, it's the whole thing about the institutions are coming. The institutions aren't coming. The institutions are not already here. The institutions have been here for quite a while. And you'll say, well, what about the price? Dude, stop worrying about it. It's not that big of a deal. It's just, it's just not. Um, let's see here. What are we doing? Oh, oh, see, now, well, uh, let's, I'm getting into about an hour and I want to keep it short. So I'm going to do this one to end and we're going to talk about GP Utopia. And this was written from G, gputopia.ai forward slash intro. This is their introduction. So they're kind of new on the scene, I guess. This was published yesterday, September the 12th. It says, toward an open GPU mesh. Companies, <clears throat> large and small, are scrambling to hoard GPUs, which are now considerably harder to get than drugs. Some large companies are not only stockpiling GPUs, they are actively lobbying governments to establish safety regulations, creating barriers for smaller players. <clears throat> we call that, this is me talking, we call that regulatory moding. Mm-hmm. It's the familiar pattern of regulatory capture. They're calling it capture, but it's moting. Dressed in sheep's clothing, a blatant power play to stifle competition. But what if we could level the playing field? What if we could enable unstoppable universal access to graphic processor units compute? Introducing GP Utopia. You, the person reading this, or likely own or can access one or more computers with unused GPU capacity, would you sell that extra GPU capacity if you could? We think a lot of people would. So what if we connect all such devices together into one global mesh network for GPU compute? It's not a new idea. There's a handful of existing projects with the same goal, some of which have raised millions of dollars, but they all seem to have some garbage crypto token or convoluted crypto, quote, governance mechanism. Hilarious and unnecessary. Connecting buyers and sellers of GPU compute should be simple. Not No gatekeeping or quotas or wait lists or white papers or tokens, just a simple marketplace with pricing set through flexible supply and demand. Pay with any usual payment method and get the compute that you need. And if you want the best rates, avoid any possibility of chargeback fraud by paying and earning in Bitcoin. There it is. That's what we're building. Now we'd love your help to test and see what we've built so far. So join us today. We've launched the beta version of our GPU seller experience. It enables anyone to sell their GPU compute for Bitcoin using nothing but their web browser. Later this month, we'll launch the buyer experience, enabling anyone to easily purchase that compute for a variety of AI slash ML workloads. Over the coming weeks and months, we will rapidly add support for more devices and more workloads. We'll prioritize new features according to the feedback of our active users. So please, please, please get involved and tell us what you'd like to see. And then there's a nice little green button down here that says join the beta. Okay. Where have we seen this before? And I'm not even talking about what they were talking about with the tokens, right? We've seen this before, crowdsourcing CPU power, most notably for, uh, what is it, uh, SETI, uh, Search for extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial Intelligence. I used to run a node 
I mean, it was on my, you know, on my computer. I just basically, it was, it was the same deal. You just did it through your, did it through your browser. And it would just operate in the background when you turned it on. And it would, you know, sense if you were using your mouse and it would basically shut itself off and it worked really, really well. This is the same thing. It's just for your GPU. This will be interesting to see. Because if, 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 if this works, this might be one of the only ways to stop the regulatory moding that they were talking about. We do not want to be in a situation where we have absolutely no access to the infrastructure that runs artificial intelligence, whether it's a language model or uh, something like, you know, d- uh, d- uh, was it stable diffusion to, for pictures and whatnot? We want to be able to have that power ourselves too. And if it all goes to Amazon cloud services, we're hosed either because the price will be too high and only the very rich will be able to leverage this stuff, or they won't let anybody without a license actually buy the GPU power. What does this mean for gamers? They were pretty pissed off about Ethereum and Ethereum mining, and they got a brief respite when Ethereum decided to shit the bed and decide to go to, we're all bankers, proof of stake. But that didn't last very long, did it? No, sir. Gamers right now are in Hell, GPU prices are skyrocketing. These guys can't keep chips in stores. It's like it's bad all the way around, but at least, at least, at least, there's something like GPUtopia that's trying to do what seems to be the right thing. But again, if it's under human management, it always has the possibility to be what? Evil. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Actually, the afternoon roundup. Thursday, almost Friday. Dad says joke day. I dated a zombie once. When we broke up, she fell apart and cried to her mummy. Wow, that's a pretty good one. That's not bad. Actually, that's a two-parter. The original joke is, I dated a zombie, we broke up, she fell apart. The reply from another guy said, and cried to her mummy, so I figured I'd smash it all together and come up with a hideous dad joke for you. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You'd stream me Satoshis to directly to my lightning node, which is not being actively managed by Hydro, but it is being viewed by Amboss, so just... Do the calculus. I mean, I never thought about it before, but man, I should have probably disclosed that shit. It depends on your risk tolerance, honestly. And one of these days I'll spin up another node and I won't ever have it attached to Amboss. Um, but if you're using private channels, I don't think it makes it, it makes any difference. Although few of you are probably using private channels. Um, you can give me boostograms. And that's the way that we, you know, that you can support the show. I, I enjoy the questions. I enjoy the comments. Actually, it's, it's a really bright, for me, it's the brightest spot of the show, right? Because it's like I have, I never, I hardly ever have any idea what the hell's coming my way. And I'll, I will, I think I need to make a promise to you guys that I promise from now on to Ron Burgundy the shit out of my boostograms and just read them. Although if it's obvious and it's really heinous, 
I'm probably not going to read it because even Ron Burgundy will go, holy shit, I want to see that one. But for the most part, I enjoy that segment more than any other segment in the show. I I wish more people would do those, but hey, it is what it is. But that's the way that you can support the show. And God knows I need support because I'm going to have to going to have to do something. Going to have to do something. In either event, uh, re- do remember that uh, Rev.Hoddle, his uh, applied permaculture class, coming up September the 17th over in Baroda, Michigan. 250,000 Satoshis will buy you a ticket. The day before is free. It's a Bitcoin meetup. Just go hang out, find like-minded people, learn more about permaculture and what it can do because you can apply this shit in your backyard. You don't need a thousand acres. You don't even need one. You can do it. In, in fact, you can take those print, the principles of permaculture and apply it to a patio with no grass. You can use actual potted plants. That's the power of permaculture. It's not the swale. It's not the weed circle, also known as a herb, herb spiral. It's, it's about the principles involved. And the design considerations, they can be applied to broad acre, to small acre, to backyard, to front yard, to a flower bed, all the way down to a simple patio, 40 stories up in a high rise. If you got some sunlight, you can do permaculture. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.